Welcome back to another episode of Without Apology, brought to you by Wise Fools Media. Without Apology is a podcast about Catholic apologetics from a guy who knows some apologetics and another who doesn't. I'm William. And I'm Josh. Today, we continue our conversation about the existence of God. Oh, and by the way, Poseidon does not exist. No, he doesn't. Dude, nothing much. Good. I'm glad. Doing all right. Awesome sauce. Let's jump back into this, dude, because it, it was a lot last time. I'm assuming it's going to be a lot this time. <laughs> Let me get my water open. There you go. All right. So before we get into part two, let me recap what we've shown already. So we started out by asking, why is there something rather than nothing? Meaning, what is the ultimate explanation for the existence of everything? Mm -hmm. And there were three options we had when answering this. The first is that there's no explanation. The second is that our reality is somehow able to explain itself, at least to some capacity. And the third option was that the explanation is found beyond our reality. We used the principle of sufficient reason to rule out the first option, the principle of selection to rule out the second, and now we are left with the option that says that the existence of our reality is explained by something not found within our reality. And now in part two, we deduce what sort of reality would be able to explain everything. Uh, okay, part one was intense. Let's hope that this is an easy part. No, <laughs> no, this is actually where it gets much harder. Mm, wonderful. Now, for the sake of argument, let's say that the explanation for our reality is the flying spaghetti monster. Just wait, to... wait. The flying spaghetti monster? Yeah, the uh, remember the Richard Dawkins 2005 God parody thing? That. Whatever, go. So, just a spaceless, timeless, immaterial flying spaghetti monster. And if anyone doesn't like this illustration, you can use almost anything you like, but I like flying spaghetti monsters. Of course so, you do. Our reality is explained by a flying spaghetti monster, but if our reality needed an explanation, then it would seem like the flying spaghetti monster would as well. Because of the principle of sufficient reason, if it exists, it needs an explanation for its existence. And because it could have been otherwise, that means it can't explain its own existence, which is the principle of selection. I mean, it could have been a flying linguini monster, right? <laughs> so now we expand our search even further. So, okay, like... We're, we have this flying spaghetti monster caused the Big Bang? No. So, so in fact, we're granting for the sake of argument that the universe always existed. I may have, I probably briefly mentioned that before, but let me just say explicitly now, we're granting for the sake of argument the universe has always existed. Okay. So, you know, like, like I said, like, but like, where does the flying spaghetti monster fit in? Like, what's... What's the relationship between the spaghetti monster and our universe? Well, one way you could conceptualize it would be as a sustaining cause, although it's not something I'm explicitly arguing for at the moment, if you just need a way to sort of visualize it. Or you could think of it like the turtle from Discworld that carries the world on its back. Okay. You know I don't watch anime. No, that... Um Anyway, if the flying spaghetti monster requires an explanation outside of itself, then let's say it is explained by the mega flying spaghetti monster. So, we have our reality, which is explained by the flying spaghetti monster, which in turn is explained by the mega flying spaghetti monster. So now we have a chain of explanatory dependence 
but it's not one going backwards in time. It's a dependence here and now and at any given moment. This is what you would call an essentially ordered series. Okay. And it brings with it an interesting problem. So let's say for the sake of argument that the mega flying spaghetti monster is the termination point in all of this and that there's nothing beyond it. It's just the ultimate reality. And of course, that's just a means to illustrate something more abstract. If you wanted to use something like law of nature, instead, it would basically work the same. But if reality is structured this way, then it would be kind of like this scenario. So imagine you see me sitting on the roof of a house. Like the, the fiddler? Yes, I am the fiddler. The roof of the house is held up by the walls of the house, which in turn is held up by the foundation of the house. Mm-hmm. But the foundation is floating in midair with nothing holding it up. <laughs> okay. And you say, Josh, what is suspending you in the air like that? Josh, what is suspending you in the air <laughs> like that? And I say, isn't it obvious? The roof of the house is what's holding me up. And in a sense, I'm, I'm not wrong, but it doesn't really satisfy the question. Because the roof can only explain my suspension insofar as the walls can, insofar as the foundation can. But if the foundation is just floating in midair with no explanation then it can't explain why I'm suspended in the air like that. The foundation has no explanatory power to give to the walls, to give to the roof, and thus the roof can't explain anything. Okay, okay. but what does this have to do with, like, the flying spaghetti monsters? Mm. So, if our reality is explained by something which, in turn, is explained by something else, but then that thing has no explanation, then that's no different than our reality having no explanation. Just like it's no different from... You know, the roof doesn't have an explanation, so it can't explain why I'm in the air like that. All right. All right. Humor me for a second, okay? Okay. It seems like what we're doing is rephrasing the question. So when we ask, like, why is there something rather than nothing? The word something could mean the universe. Sure. Um, like, why is there a universe rather than nothing? But if you're going to throw supernatural Italian cuisine into the mix, then the question becomes, why is there a universe and also spaghetti monsters rather than nothing? Yeah, that... That is a good way of putting it. It just rephrases the question. Because as long as we keep deferring to other things that require explanations outside of themselves, instead of answering that question, we're just moving the goalpost. Okay. But let's say instead we have an infinite number of flying spaghetti monsters. Surely that would make a difference, right? Except it wouldn't because... And this is the significance of the essentially ordered series, is that it requires a termination point. Mm-hmm. So... Unlike the kind of series that goes backwards in time, which could theoretically go forever with no termination point. I think we did an episode on that at one point. Yeah. Um, imagine, uh, so imagine a similar scenario to the house thing where I'm on a roof, which is held up by walls, but the walls are infinitely long downward, like an infinitely tall house. Right, right. Um, right. You know, maybe they just go into a deep, endless abyss or whatever, um, but they never reach the bottom because there is none. In that case... Like my, there is no bottom. Right, so you just have the walls of the house. Just infinitely They just go, go down. Yeah, they okay. just go forever. In that case, my being in the air still wouldn't make sense. Um, because if the walls aren't hitting the ground and they're not like held up by anything, they would just fall down. Right. It, and so the fact that they're infinitely long doesn't change anything. So even moving the goalpost indefinitely doesn't answer the question, why is there something rather than nothing? An example I've seen Edward Faber use is that a paintbrush can't paint anything on its own, even if it has an infinitely long handle. Right. See? So, um, so the only thing that could satisfy the question would be something that takes the third option. 
it would have to be something that is somehow able to explain its own existence. And even if at the moment we're not sure what sort of thing that could be or how that's even possible, it's the only other option, something that is self-explanatory. And now comes the fun part of deducing what sort of reality that could be. Okay, well, okay. Well, let me see if I get this, um, like I'm following, right? So first you said that our reality is explained by a flying spaghetti monster, mm -hmm. um, which you know, would also need an explanation. Um, then said that even an infinite number of spaghetti monsters wouldn't work. Right. But that there has to be some kind of like explanation because otherwise, you know, we wouldn't have like, like we, we, we haven't explained right. anything. It just you know? rephrases the question doesn't yeah. actually answer. And then the only other thing that could ever be a real explanation would be something that not only explains our reality, but also its own existence right the that and that was the third option we talked about okay so because if it uh if it doesn't explain its own existence then we would have to defer to something else and we'd have the same problem we have with everything else we'd just be back to square one and um so now it would seem as though we're in a paradoxical space right because mm -hmm. there must be some kind of explanation yet nothing seems to fit the bill and here is a cool analogy I like to use to illustrate this. It's not actually vital to the argument. I just kind of like it. So, <laughs> Like spaghetti monsters? Just yes. Kidding. Okay, go. <laughs> so imagine a box of sentient chocolate, mm. like a Valentine's Day box of sentient chocolate. Yes. And these chocolates have lived their whole sentient lives, never leaving the box. And the chocolates want to know, why is there chocolate rather than no chocolate? Like, why is there something rather than nothing? Okay. And one of the chocolates say, well... Clearly, our existence is explained by another chocolate. Now, of course, it doesn't make any sense, but the reason it would make sense they would give that answer because the only thing these chocolates have ever known is other chocolate. So that's the only kind of explanation they could even think about, basically. And likewise, we're only familiar with those finite things that can't explain their own existence, things that could have been otherwise. So those seem to be the only things that we could come up with, just like the chocolates can only think yeah. of other chocolate. I'm not really falling in your, like, dark humor. <laughs> yeah, um, well, before I was a pretend philosopher, I was a pretend comedian, so <laughs> any bits of hitting the land of jokes, I can just recycle into pseudo-intellectual analogies that don't prove anything. You think so, you can do that, but yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. How do we, so how do we cross the abyss between our world of finite beings to the ultimate reality that is their explanation. Me? I, I, I don't know, but I'm assuming you're going to tell me. I shall. Good. So, we've almost gotten through every principle. We only have one more left. Namely... <laughs> only one left? <laughs> okay, go. And this one's a doozy. So, no mm. finite being can explain its own existence. So, here's where we got to put our thinking caps on. All right. Because before we cross the abyss, I'd like to propose a shift in the center of gravity, as W. Norris Clark put it, where before we were focusing on the manner in which things exist, we will now focus instead on the actual existence of those things. Okay, I, I cannot express to you like just how much that made absolutely no sense to me. <laughs> well, it's about to get real existential real quick. Think of it this way. Instead of saying that horse exists, you say that is existence in a horsey mode. Okay. You know what I mean? And that's the point of doing what? Or so, like, what's the point of doing that? Right, right. Um, so here's where we're at. Whenever we try to posit something as being the ultimate reality, 
It always ends up being the sort of thing that could have been otherwise, and thus cannot be the ultimate explanation. That was the principle of selection. Like the flying spaghetti monster, or law of nature, or whatever, or another chocolate, right? Yeah. So, what we're doing here is finding out what it is about those things that disqualifies them, so to speak. Because then whatever that characteristic is, this ultimate reality would be something that doesn't have that characteristic. Kind of like reverse engineering this reality to know more about the ultimate reality. Well, I thought the characteristic was that, you know, it, it could have been otherwise, right? Right, yeah, that was the principle of selection. And, you know, sure, um, but what is it about these things that makes it to where they could have been otherwise? Because the principle of selection by itself only tells us that whatever the ultimate reality is, it couldn't have been anything else or it couldn't have been otherwise. But we can find out more than that by shifting our focus away from the limitations to the attribute that our reality has in common with the ultimate reality, namely existence itself. Okay. Because we've already shown that there is an ultimate reality, meaning that it has existence. Next, we just have to deduce the manner of existence. And because there's nothing about the attribute of existence that necessarily entails limitations, it avoids the problem we had with the sentient chocolate. It's what a Thomas would call a pure perfection. Okay. All right. I'll play along. You know, but, but the principle you're talking about now is that no finite being can explain itself. Right. So now I'm going to further elaborate what it means to be finite, and that's kind of how we deduce all this. And this is, it is uh, probably the most difficult part of the argument, but... You know, go. Keep going. <laughs> All right. So Keep going. A finite being is one that has existence in a finite form. Mm-hmm. You could also use words like restricted or limited. Um, the way we conceive of it is like I was saying with the horse before. Instead of saying the horse exists, you say that is existence, which is restricted to the form of a horse or like limited to the form of a horse. Um, and so existence is not merely a convenient but empty word that we just made up. It describes an actual feature of reality. Also, when I use words like finite or infinite, we're using it in a qualitative sense, not quantitative. Similar to how you might say um, the original Star Wars trilogy is infinitely better than the prequels. Even though in that case it would be hyperbole, it's kind of the same idea where it's a qualitative, fi- infinite, uh, not quantitative. Well, for, well first of all... It's not a hyperbole. I don't know if you saw the prequels, but they are not good. Uh, so why is that a finite being? Like, why is that a finite being can't explain its own existence? Like, I don't understand. So, um, well, we know this because of the principle of selection we used earlier. So we've already been talking about it in a sense. It's just like a further unfolding of the concept. Here's a quote from W. Norris Clark that basically sums up the whole principle. Okay. So... And here, so here's the quote. Um, Such a being cannot be the sufficient reason for its own actual existence in this limited mode, for something has to determine it to exist in this limited mode and not some other one possible. There must be a principle of selection among the range of possibilities of other different modes or degrees of the attribute in question. Why should it exist in this degree only and not some other one possible? It cannot determine its own essential being to be such and not otherwise. To do so, it would have to pre-exist its own self in some real but not yet determined state and then actively determine itself to be in this mode of being and not some other. So That's a long quote. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is a long quote. Um, so if we look at the horse again, we would ask, 
why is this existence in the limited mode of a horse rather than some other limited mode possible? All right, so just quick recap, because I, I think I'm following, right? So so being finite is what makes the principle of a selection work. Mm -hmm. um, if, a, if a being is finite, it could have been otherwise. Yeah. So no finite being can explain its own existence. Got it. Um, now, we've been talking a lot about the things in our own reality, but what is this supposed to tell us about like the ultimate, re like actual reality, right? Right, right, right. The how do we kind of bring this all back? How does it prove the existence of God? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, if anything that has a limited or restricted existence can't explain its own existence, then the ultimate reality can't have existence in a restricted way. So that would that's the characteristic uh, we were looking for. Okay, uh, meaning. It would have to have existence in an unrestricted manner, an unlimited manner. Uh, it would have. It would not merely have existence, but it would be the unlimited plenitude of existence itself, a reality that has no distinction between what it is and that it is, mm. something that just is existence itself. And this all men call God. Mm, I see. Okay. Well, what else you got on it? I mean, is there um, more? Well, there's certainly more that I could elaborate on, especially concerning the last concept we used. We should eventually do a whole episode on that. Um, and uh, we could also take it even further to prove various divine attributes, like all powerful, all good, and that sort of thing. Well, it sounds like we're going to need to do that. So for, let's yeah. leave it as this for now. Uh, maybe in future episodes, we could revisit some of that. Uh, I mean, you've certainly given us a lot to chew on. Right. And um, all right. Well, that's that's good. All right. I <laughs> we're going to we're going to shift gears real quick, Josh, because I got a voicemail. Right. Okay? Last time we said we would. So this. we have this voicemail of somebody that basically doesn't understand what is coming out of my dumb face. <laughs> yes. OK, so it's this is a this is a really good attack of, on you. There you go. By a very mean, vicious person. <laughs> I'm just joking. It sounds like the sweetest girl. Um, okay, I'm just going to play it and uh, go for it. let you go. Hi, this question is for Without Apology. Hey, Josh and Will. Um, this is Megan from Covington, Louisiana. Uh, I've listened to all the podcasts y'all put out so far. My question was, in the first episode, you talked about how God's always been and you know, therefore he didn't need to have a cause. Um, in a more recent episode, you talked about how, I think it was Ignatius, you said, use the fact that, like he just didn't argue that the universe had a start date because he argued that even if it had always been, it still could have a creator. So how do you reconcile those two arguments? The fact that God's always been, therefore he doesn't need a creator, but then the universe has always been, but it could still need a creator. Uh, yeah, that's my question. Uh, can't wait to hear the answer. Bye. Nice. That is a very good question. So, and I really, I wanted to answer this in light of the argument because we, in a sense, already answered it. Uh, and it also shows that I need to explain things. Uh, well, first uh, of all, thanks, Megan. For, oh, yeah. For Megan. For uh, calling in and actually utilizing our phone number. There you You're go. You're our first caller. You win a prize. And listening to all our episodes. And the prize <laughs> is Josh explaining. There you go. <laughs> so, basically... The reason why God does not have a cause is not merely because God always existed, because like you pointed out, even if the universe always existed, it would still require a cause. The reason why God does not require a cause 
is because the explanation for God's existence is found within God himself. And that was the conclusion we came to uh, during this episode, during this argument. Uh, and so, so it's not like technically correct to say God always existed, therefore he does not have a cause. It's more correct to say God's existence is self-explanatory, therefore God's existence does not require a cause. So I uh, hope that clears that up. Uh, also, I hope that clears it up too. <laughs> uh, one more thing I wanted to mention. So the first episode we did was on the question, what caused God? And the way I answered it was sort of in light of the way people strawman Aquinas. Like I was saying, the, the objection doesn't just show up in a vacuum. People always say, well, Aquinas said everything has a cause. Well, what caused God? Um, so now, since I already answered that, I want to kind of revisit that and answer it like as if someone just raised the objection, not directed at, you know, Aquinas okay. in particular. Yeah, go ahead. So basically, uh, the reason like the reason God doesn't have a cause, like I was saying before, is that his existence is self-explanatory. The way I would articulate that, though, when someone raised this objection just in a vacuum, I would say that part of proving the existence of God is proving that God does not have a cause. Mm. And the reason I would do it that way is because if you just say like, oh, well, God doesn't have a cause because his existence is self-explanatory, if you phrase it that way, it's going to come across as if you're just conveniently defining God like in a way that undermines the objection. Right. You know what I mean? It, yeah, just yeah. Sounds, it just sounds like you're making it up. So the reason, so you want to phrase it like part of proving the existence of God is such and such because then... It, you're not just conveniently defining, you know, oh, well, God doesn't have a cause. It is also our knowledge of God not having a cause. Our knowledge of that is a consequence of the argument. And also another good reason to phrase it that way is that since most people aren't even familiar with arguments for the existence of God, it also kind of opens the door to like, you know, maybe they'll say, oh, well, what do you mean proving the existence of God? I'm like, I've never even heard of that. That's a thing people do isn't that just a thing you take on faith yeah and then it kind of opens the door for that and then you know you're off yeah so well so i mean you hit us with a lot of deep stuff a lot um i do have a question for you okay yeah. and my question i'm not gonna put you on the spot <laughs> i mean i am but it's not to be answered today okay it's gonna be for like one of our next episodes right okay i find that a lot of the analogies that you bring up um a lot of the analogies that other apologists bring up to defend the faith and things like that, things like that, they're kind of like, I feel like they're perfect analogies for the situation. So for example, like you brought up the spaghetti monster or you bring up, you know, sitting on a roof and then, it, but the roof is supported by the walls, which is supported by the foundation, but is like levitating in the air. Mm -hmm. well, reality is that that doesn't happen. So it's sure. almost like a lot of these analogies are like perfect for, I, I want, like one of our next episodes, my question is, uh, why are these like impossible analogies used, right? Sure. To try and prove God. It's almost like they're using something that doesn't exist to try and prove something that people are already struggling believing exists. I see. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I almost feel like to prove God exists, they have to use analogies of stuff that would never happen and doesn't exist to right. prove the existence of something that might not exist. I see. Because do you know that God exists? Yeah, I'd say. I would say I don't know that God exists, and I believe that He exists. Right, the difference between faith, right? I mean, that's sure. the importance of faith is knowing is is like I believe it to be true, and I'm like an act of faith is me believing that that is true. Sure, but I don't know. 
but I believe that I know. You know what I mean? It's like well, it's, it's fairly tripping. something. Yeah, we could do a whole episode on. So that. I want to do one soon because a lot of these analogies we're getting, um, I feel like even the analogies are so far like out esoteric there. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're very like every time you say that, I just think of ET. <laughs> but you know, that's what I'm really thinking would maybe help out some of our listeners in sure. knowing like what's going on and how to follow along. You know, right? Um, you want to know another way to follow along with us? Uh, hit us up on that social medias. Um, we're at Wise Fools Media on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, pretty soon, actually, we're going to be at Without Apology in all these places. Um, so you can find us there. But for now, Wise Fools Media, that's the company that we're under. So visit us at wisefoolsmedia.com for blogs and more things. Um, Josh, you need to do, you need to write some like articles and stuff. Sure. I don't know if you're down for that, but I, I think you can really go into like some crazy stuff, right? Oh, sure. Um, you can email us. Um, find that on online. Actually, we don't have an email address, so don't email us. Just kidding. Um, we will have an email address soon, but you can call us like Megan did from Covington. 985-503-7867. That's 985-503-7867. I'm William. And I'm Josh. This is Without Apology. Yeah. Peace. Peace.